Good morning, and uh, thank you for that welcome. I give God all the glory, and thank you, Pastor John, for that gracious introduction. Truly gracious it was. Um, yes, I, I just graduated from uh, college and seminary, but I'm, I'm not one of those people that has to splash it in my back window and put flags out front or wear sh shirts that, you know, splash the name on, but... Um, Yes, and I have been a paint contractor for 43 years. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. There's no way that guy looks old enough to do anything for 43 years. You know, but it's true. And, of course, the rest of you are thinking 43 years of paint fumes. He's got to have brain damage. Um, <laughs> that is true, but that's probably from my children. Um, I want to talk to you today about words and deeds. Ignite or diffuse words and deeds. Incivility in America has reached new heights. It's amazing the way we are treating each other these days. Social media, everything. Uh, a survey done on incivility showed that 84% have personally experienced incivility. 59% Quit paying attention to politics because of incivility. Amen to that. 53% have stopped buying from a company because of uncivil representatives. 34% have experienced incivility at work. 25% have experienced cyberbullying or incivility online. And that is up three times since 2011. 25% of parents have transferred children to different schools because of incivility. You know, no longer do we present or discredit ideas. We attack each other personally. It's like the first thing we do now. Instead of, instead of attacking their idea and trying to discredit their idea, we attack them personally. And it leads to some horrible arguments. It leads to heated, angry arguments. And, and when they're prolonged, they're called feuds. And that happens more and more often where people are not talking to each other or being uncivil for long periods of times. And not only is it detrimental to the two sides, it's detrimental to the people who are watching. I'm sure all of you have have watched people arguing and thought, man, just tone it down. And it actually hurt you to watch them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Well, what causes arguments? What causes these feuds? Well, basically, there's two things. The first one is a misunderstanding. Somebody has said or done something that the other side took incorrectly and now is upset about it. Now things have been ignited. The other way is for somebody to have said or done something, it was completely understood and the other side took it offensively because they understood it. Let's talk about misunderstanding first. 
the first side of this. Adolf and Rudolf Dassler were two brothers during World War II that started a shoemaking company together in Mom's Kitchen. They got big, built a factory, but we're talking about two brothers and two brothers that are in business together, and words started escalating. Well, it's World War II. Adolf is running into a bomb shelter where Rudolph, his brother, and his family are already in there. And as he's entering the bomb shelter, he has some disparaging words for the people that are bombing them. Well, Rudolph took it to mean that he was talking about him and his family. And it escalated and got worse and worse. Eventually, they had to split the factory. And one built a factory on one side of the river and one on the other. Adolf when looking for a name for his shoes, his nickname was Adi, A-D-I, and he liked that. So he coupled it with the first three letters of his last name. Hence, we get the shoes Adidas. Rudolph, on the other side, initially named his company Ruda, but he then changed it to Puma. Now, we ended up with two nice sets of shoes, but the brothers never spoke again, all because they escalated words. Sometimes there's a misunderstanding because of the language barrier. Sometimes words in one language mean something completely different in another language. There was a young Hispanic man who was very ambitious. He was out looking for work. He worked a 9 to 5 job during the weekdays, Monday through Friday. But on weekends, he'd go out to wealthy neighborhoods and knock on the door, and offer to do odd jobs around the house for money. Well, this one particular Saturday morning, he knocked on the door, the gentleman answered it, and he explained what he was doing. And the guy thought about it for a minute. He says, my wife is out shopping all day long, and she's been nagging me to paint the porch. He says, I get this guy to paint the porch. He makes money. I watch college football all day. My wife comes home, I'm a hero. It's a win, win, win. What could go wrong? So he asked the guy, he says, can you paint? He says, see, I'm a good painter. He says, I'll tell you what, you go out to the garage, there's a gallon of green oil-based paint on the floor in the garage. You paint the porch, and when you're finished, you come back and see me and I'll pay you. He says, okay. About an hour and a half later, there's a knock on the door. Guy goes to the door. He says, you're finished already? He says, see, I do a good job. So he pulls out the cash and he pays him. And the young man's about to leave and he turns back to him and he says, and oh, by the way, that was no porch. That was a Mercedes. <laughs> Misunderstanding. <laughs> Misunderstanding. Yeah. Let's talk about the offended side. Probably one of the most famous feuds in America is the Hatfields and McCoys. They think it got started by one side stealing a pig from the other. Then words and deeds escalated, and it lasted decades, and several family members on both sides ended up dead as a result of it. Now that was several decades ago. Since then, they have reconciled. And believe it or not, in 1979, both sides of the family agreed to be on a game show. Guess what the game show was? 
Family feud. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Family feud. Believe it or not, they did it. And they did a week-long game show with the Hatfields and the McCoys. And by the way, the McCoys won three out of five. But you know, they've even reconciled now and have a foundation together that helps people. Feuds can be reconciled. Sometimes it doesn't end that well. Alexander Hamilton was George Washington's treasury secretary. And he was a brilliant man. As a matter of fact, he saved this country from bankruptcy early on. Well, later on, when Thomas Jefferson became president, his vice president was a man named Aaron Burr. And Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton butted heads. And the words and deeds ignited, eventually leading up to a duel. And when it came time for the duel, Alexander Hamilton thought, this is immoral. What am I doing? So when they turned to shoot each other, Alexander Hamilton raised his pistol and actually just shot a tree limb. Aaron Burr did not. The bullet penetrated his stomach, lodged in his spine, and Alexander Hamilton died two days later. Words and deeds ignite or diffuse. There have been feuds in the Bible. Korah's rebellion. Korah was rebelling against Moses and Aaron. He didn't like what they were doing. So he gathered together 250 people. Korah was from the tribe of the Levites, so he gathered 250 people, and they got censers. Censers were these things that you would burn incense in, and they generally only did it during religious ceremonies. And Moses knew he had to put a stop to this. So he went out, and he went, actually went around the camp of Korah, and he told the families around there, back up, something's fixing to happen. And he said, either... God's going to handle this right now or they're going to grow old and die old. Right after that, the ground under them opened up. Korah, his family, men servants, maidservants, livestock, all of his possessions went straight down into the ground to a place called Sheol, which was hell in the Old Testament. Then the ground closed back up. And then God sent fire down to the 250, and they were turned to ash like that. Now, guys, I know there's some of you in here that if you were there, tell the truth, you'd have gone and looked. And then some of you would have been daring each other to be the first one to cross over that after it closed up. Now, I want you to think about as horrible as this is, ground opens up, swallows all these people, 250 people are turned to ash. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can remember part of a scripture or maybe a story in the Bible, but I can't remember where it is. So what do you do? You Google it. Usually the first thing that comes up tells you where it is in the Bible. So I Google Korah's Rebellion. The first thing that comes up, Korah's Rebellion coloring book. <laughs> really? <laughs> And no, I didn't order any for my grandchildren. Um, David and Saul. Think about the words that ignited that. Saul chased David for approximately seven years trying to kill him. Why? Why? Because some people looked at Saul and said, you killed your thousands 
And David killed his ten thousands. It's amazing what words can ignite. Did you know the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out? There was a Levite traveling with his concubine, and they ended up at the city of Gibeah, which was inhabited by the Benjamites. And one of the men there decided to take them in for the evening. Well, some of the Benjamins went up and knocked on the door and said, Bring him out. We want to have our way with him. And they said, No, we won't do that. But they did put out their concubine. The next morning, they opened the door and found her dead on the doorstep. She had been raped to death. So the Levite took her body back to Jerusalem and got the army. And went back to Gibeah. And they said, we want the perpetrators. We want the people who did this. And they said, no, we're not going to give them to you. And they went through the city systematically killing every man, woman, and child. Until they almost wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. We almost ended up with just 11 tribes instead of 12. Paul and Barnabas. They split up over John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take him on another journey. And and Paul said, no, he bailed on us last time. We're not taking him. So Barnabas took John Mark. And Paul took Silas. And they went their separate ways. Now, I want you to think about this. John Mark is the Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark, which influenced the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Where would we be without that? But probably one of the greatest feuds in the Bible was actually in the book of Romans. We don't know who started the church in Rome. And we don't know how Paul found out that it was in trouble. But it was in trouble. There was a huge conflict between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. Now, as you can imagine, the Jewish Christians dominated the church. But they were stuck in the Old Testament still. They were still stuck with the law. They were still stuck with circumcision. And not only that, they were always causing trouble. So Emperor Claudius had them expelled. He said, get all the Jews out. I cannot put up with this anymore. And had them expelled. Well, this left the church to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles go out and they're evangelizing. And who's left to evangelize to? Other Gentiles. Well, The Jews were gone for about five years. They came back after Claudius died. So for five years, the church is growing, but it's all Gentiles. Well, before the expulsion, Christians would have been thought of as a subset of the Jews. Well, the Jews start returning, and it becomes very obvious that they are separate, that they are not the same people. And evidence of this is how Rome treated the Christians versus the Jews. They would dip the Christians in tar and light them on fire just to light their garden up. But there was none of that persecution for the Jews. Well, they come back, and I want you to think about this. You know the law. You're a child of Abraham. You're the one that brought the church to the Gentiles. So you come back from this, and you're thinking we got to get back in charge. But now it's a predominantly Gentile Christian church. And they start thinking, we can't conform to the Gentiles. They're supposed to conform to us. 
We can't do that. So we have a Jewish community thinking that they're the ones that are supposed to be in charge. We also have a Gentile community that is thinking, listen, we've done fine for five years without you guys. We got this. We got this. And it ensues. The words, the deeds, and it becomes a pretty good battle between the two. Now, Paul was incredibly knowledgeable and gifted by God. He was also a wise counselor and knew how to deal with conflict and resolve it. And one of the techniques he uses in the book of Romans is asking questions. Next time you go through the book of Romans, I want you to think about all this background. I also want you to count the questions. There's approximately 85 questions that Paul asks in the book of Romans. Now, he does this for several reasons. The questions serve a couple of purposes. The first thing the question does is it reveals who Paul is speaking to. The second thing it would reveal is how the person he's asking the question of felt about a given situation or set of people. And it would cause them to reflect on that situation. It also tells us the issue that he was trying to correct. Listen to some of the questions that he asked the Jews. In Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew... Or what is the benefit of circumcision? What, what advantage do you guys think you have just because you're the children of Abraham? And what really does circumcision do for you other than identify you as a Jew? What, what advantage do you really think you have? Chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And by Greeks, he meant the Gentiles. And what scripture does that make you think of? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean you're sinless. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Look at chapter 3, verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? You're claiming that this God created the universe, created the world. You're saying he's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's all these things, but he's only the God of you, not all these other people running around. Of course he is. He's the God of everybody. He's the God of everybody. What those questions tell us is that the Jews were feeling holier than thou. I mean, we heard it from the Pharisees and Sadducees. But it's not just the Jews. Listen to how he speaks to the Gentiles. His first question to them was in chapter 11, verse 1. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. He's like, they're his people. Good or bad, whatever. They are still his people. The Jews today that are sitting in a synagogue, they're still God's people. And Paul says a little bit later, in fact, I'm one of them. I'm a Jew. I was, I was mentored by Gamaliel. 
I was, I was going to be a Pharisee. My dad was a Pharisee. I'm one of them. And then he tells them the story of Elijah crying out to God. Uh, chapter 11, verses 3 through 5. This is Elijah speaking. Lord, they have killed your prophets and t- torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me? And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. This next sentence is important. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So what he's saying is the same back then when I chose those 7,000. Those returning to Rome, those are chosen also. He's using that example to talk about him bringing them back to Rome. What's interesting is, this is right after Elijah single-handedly killed 450 prophets of Baal. Right after that, he's hiding in a cave. This is when he's speaking to God, hiding from one woman. Never know. Words and deeds. Then to show what the attitude with the Gentiles was really like. If some of the branches, this is chapter 11, verses 17 through 21. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. All of this is the human, secular, worldly side that ignites rather than diffuses. But if words and deeds can ignite, they can also diffuse. And one of the greatest things he's trying to do with his questions is to get you to renew your mind. He talks, this, talks about this in chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So from here, he wants to teach you how to diffuse. And he does it through a series of one another statements about how they should treat and talk to one another. Uh, Many of them came from Proverbs. And not only does it diffuse between the two parties, it sends a message to anybody watching who has seen the argument. Chapter 12, verse 10, the first part of it. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love has a bond that you cannot understand unless you are a brother. I am one of four boys. All my brothers live here. I've had knockdown dragouts with every single one of them. I promise you that. But if my phone 
rang right now. And one of my brothers said, I need you. I'd ask Pastor John to come up and finish. And I'd go to them just like I would any one of my brothers or sisters in Christ. It matters. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters, I might add, to dwell in unity together. The other part of verse 10. Honor one another above yourselves. What's it mean to honor? To regard with great respect? Give preference to? Of course, we all honor ourselves. We all do it. I do it. I'm guilty. So how do you honor somebody else? Proverbs 15.33 Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. Before you can lift somebody else up, before you can esteem somebody else, before you can give preference to somebody else, you have to humble yourself. It's not in our nature. It's a hard thing to do. And I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier with Christ. And it's not anything huge. It's the simple things. Hold the door for somebody. Compliment somebody. Let somebody merge in traffic. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird thing in Jacksonville, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, the other thing would be one of those traffic circles. Um, but it is. It is the simple things. Chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. The best definition I found for that was working together in a complementary fashion toward a common goal. I love the um, triangle illustration that Pastor John does where I'm here and you're there and God's up here. And as we both grow closer to God, we grow closer to each other. It happens naturally. But working together. Belgian draft horses are some of the strongest, biggest horses on planet Earth. One Belgian draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. That's like 10 or 12 Cooper Minis. Two Belgian draft horses. Now, math would tell you they can pull 16,000 pounds. No, two Belgian draft horses working together can pull 20 to 24,000 pounds. Now, this is really neat. If two Belgian draft horses were raised and trained together, they can pull 30 to 32,000 pounds. What can we do together for the Lord if we decide and choose to diffuse? It doesn't mean we have to become carbon copies of each other. Doug Floyd said, you don't get harmony when everybody sings the same note. <laughs> We're different. It's okay. Chapter 14, verse 13. Stop passing judgment on one another. Proverbs 24, 23 says to show partiality in judging is not good. Even a judge in a courtroom 
hears all the evidence from both sides before he passes down a judgment or a ruling. I'll never forget the first time I realized the truth of there are two sides to every story. There is truth in that. Chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ Jesus accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The only way you're going to understand that acceptance from Christ is if you have accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Because then you realized that He's accepted you when you are not worthy. For those of you in here that have accepted Him, I don't know where you were or what the circumstances were. But for me, I was sitting alone in a six-by-eight jail cell, stripped of everything, under suicide watch, having just been arrested for third-degree murder and the drug overdose of my fiancé. That was 36 years ago. About 10 years ago or so, the older sister of my deceased fiancé married my older brother. She comes to family gatherings. I get a kiss and a hug, hello and goodbye. She brings presents for my children and grandchildren. She brings food. She participates in family activities. And never once has she brought it up. Never once has she thrown it in my face. The horrible pain, my stupidity, caused her, her family, and friends. She has shown me nothing but grace. Let me tell you something. When God convicts you of this, you will be tested. Several years ago, my grandmother on my dad's side, my dad's mom died. And my sister did something horrible that separated her from the rest of the family. And we didn't speak to her for 25 years. And I spent the last two days of my dad's life next to his bed in a nursing home. And in the last couple hours, we talked about my sister and the sadness and pain in him. It was hard to bear. A couple of years later, mom went into the hospital. And that was a cycle. Mom lived by herself in her condo and basically ate chocolate all day and would not nourish herself properly. She would become dehydrated and malnourished. She'd go to the hospital, they'd re-nourish her, rehydrate her, and she'd go home. She wasn't going home this time. And luckily, at that time in this church, the uh, children's minister was a wonderful woman named Miss Dina. And she went to visit my mom in the hospital. And during the course of their conversation, she said, is there anything I can get you? And my mom said, yeah, I'd like some water 
And I'd like to see my daughter one more time. And that afternoon, I got a phone call from her, and she told me. So I called my brothers, and they elected me to call my sister. Yeah. So I, I didn't even have her number. I actually had to research her number in the Internet, and I actually found it. And I called her, and I said, hey, sis, it's Tom. Dead silence. And I told her that mom wasn't doing well and she wanted to see her. And she went off on this rant about you guys are going to jump down my throat. You're going to gang together and tell me what I did wrong. And I just let her go. And the whole time I was thinking, yeah, we are. And you deserve it. I can't believe what you did to dad. You should have seen his face. But just like God closed the mouth of the lion for Daniel, he shut my mouth. And when she finished, I said, sis, none of that matters anymore. All of that's way behind us. Nobody even cares about that stuff anymore. Your mom's dying. She wants to see you one more time. The next morning, she got in her car and drove over from Pensacola. And literally hours before mom died, they hugged and kissed and laughed and cried. And had I chosen to ignite instead of diffuse, that never would have happened. That never would have happened. And I never could have made that choice if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of a God that loved me so much, he sent his son down while I was still a sinner to die on a cross in my place for my sins. Words and deeds, ignite or diffuse. Probably the greatest one another in Romans is 13, verse 8. It sums up all the others. Love one another. Choose to diffuse. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we had a Savior that while he was dying and bleeding, horribly beaten, horribly tortured on a cross, He decided that I will choose to diffuse. Lord, I thank you for him. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not know of his love, that does not know of a God that just wants to have a relationship with them, I pray, Lord, that they would at least research it and think about that. We ask this in Jesus' name.